Welcome to episode 20 of Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. This week, we have things to talk about. We do? And stuff. Stuff too? Well, we, we try and keep the stuff to a minimum. We try and stay focused and never go off what we design to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we're straight shooters. So, we should probably get on that. With the things or the stuff? I said no. Uh, you're not. Li- you never listen to me, do you? No, I don't. You really don't. It's it's no, pretty obvious. I don't. As listeners to the show know, you are the most disruptive aspect of this. I'm the most disruptive aspect. Let's talk about how you know the little section we put in the podcast that kind of leads into our main theme. Uh huh. Little music. It's interview. the music break. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a standard thing you do. Yeah. 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 And what about it? It I, was it's a great idea. I think we should continue to do it. I I agree. But so maybe, where were you going? What was your point here? You said I break up. Well, I don't even remember anymore. Exactly. Why are we fighting? We're not fighting. We're, I'm right. Not. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're always right. <laughs> I'm not right. No, no where you were going with that is that we've been prepping for this episode for like two and a half hours trying to find music for the interlude. Yeah, not. Not what we're going to talk about. Basically just choosing a piece of music that you'll listen to for maybe about 15 to 20 seconds. Because I determined that this week we're not doing a Nintendo song. And that ended up being more difficult than we both originally thought. Well, I'm happy with the choice. I'm happy with it. And we'll see. You know what? Let us know when we get to that part of the show. uh, You, as the listener, are happy with the choice. Yes, let us let us know. Those of you who like the choice of music at all, because we know there are those out in the audience who don't like to have fun and yeah. and don't yeah. understand that. So so tangents. Any, tangents. 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 So this first tangent is one I figured I'd queue up for you. I put the first half of the notes together and you put the second half, but yeah. this one I put on here for you. Yep. No, I put this on there. Yes, you did. Okay. I was like, what? You don't. I was trying to see if you'd remember. So, Sean, I know you're going to be really upset about I'm going to be very broken up about this. Um, but the Miiverse is no longer. They had the Miiverse on the Switch? No, n- no, it was not. It was on the Wii U. The Wii U? I thought the Wii U was no longer. And the 3DS. Well, it was on the 3DS. That's true. But for those that don't know, Miiverse's, Miiverse was Nintendo's little ex- experiment into social media. Their own social network, essentially. Yeah. And I have to say, unlike the PlayStation communities or Xbox, it was actually pretty cool. There was a lot of cool hand-drawn art. Yeah, I never figured out how people could do that. They're just really talented. I it just, I mean, I guess with the 3DS, yeah. I could see it. That's well, not a big deal. as well. Had a stylus. I guess, but, but they never were that responsive when I tried to do it. It just never felt right. But... Uh... Yeah, every game had its own little social network, and and um, I think it just ended up being too much for Nintendo to manage. And didn't you need a special code to use every episode, every game, and then each individual person in each game had to have their own code to join the social network? That's the friend codes, and those are still a thing. <laughs> that was where I was going. But with that. Uh, yeah, if you've played a lot of games, had Miiverse built into them. I remember playing. Um, Super Mario 3D World, mm-hmm. and at the beginning of each stage, it shows little drawings based on the level. Splatoon did also, and um, I just remember one that said and Little my, Big Planet. My parents beat me. <laughs> my parents. Beat me. 
I just re- there was a little, you didn't a even respond like to my that. little joke there. That's... Little big plan. I got it. I got it. I heard. Did you? you? Yeah. I, you I didn't was, respond. I was choosing to ignore You're you. You're supposed to laugh. Ha. There we go. Okay. Well, anyhow, uh, Nintendo is relying on Twitter and Facebook for their social backbone. Yeah, because that never went wrong for anybody. No. Anyhow, moving on, Sean, you're you're gonna be so happy about this. I am. Yeah. What am I gonna be happy about? Star Wars. Star Wars. Well, you know, usually I'm happy, except they may come up this stupid idea of a solo movie. Solo trilogy. Yeah, I'm. That's still not confirmed. Well, even they need to get through one before they start doing more. Even if that's not confirmed, guess what? What? They're making another trilogy. Please tell me J.J. Abrams is not going no, to be. it's Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, who Last... so far is an unproven director in the Star Wars universe. Correct. That's a heck of a gamble. I guess they're happy with him? So they haven't fired him like the last three directors that they had hanging right. around. Yep. Huh. Okay. Um, so what you're basically saying is that once the... Six, seven, eight trilogy. Seven, eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine. Yeah, right. I forget. The Force woke up. Force woke up. There's the a f- Jedi left. There's one, yeah. And the last one's going to be called... I don't know what it's going to be called. Yeah, n- neither does Lucasfilm. The Force goes Disney. back to sleep. <laughs> the Force goes into a long slumber. Uh, we don't yeah, know so- anything about this, but they have said it may not be based on the Skywalker. Well, the Skywalker was always... Uh, George Lucas's thing. He always said that Star Wars was a generational saga, like you know, Roots, or <laughs> <laughs> North and South, or you know. <laughs> I threw you for a loop on that one, didn't? Yeah, I? you did. I did not see that. Um, and so it was always going to follow. So, but but George Lucas is an unreliable narrator. Yes, because he's told us a bunch of different things, and he has absolutely new control over Star Wars at this point. He, he surrendered his ideas for the last three movies, and I guess they completely went in a different direction because they decided to remake the first movie, and we'll see where this next movie's going. You know, but uh, So I don't think it's a bad thing to move away from the Skywalker clan, but at the same time, how, there aren't that many Skywalkers running around anymore. No, but I think this is an opportunity to get away from just the... There's a giant weapon, and there's an empire, and they have to defeat the empire's giant weapon. So, I don't think you have to get rid of the Skywalker saga to get away from reusing the same MacGuffins. But, there's no guarantee they will. Star Wars uh, 1313, the movie. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. But it should be a Star Wars story. That shouldn't be main third... I mean... Here's the way I would build this, where I in charge. Well, they haven't the... said this is going to be a main number trilogy. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. What I'm saying is, if you're going to have like the main through fare, the the trilogies that prop up the mythology on all of the game or the games, but the movies and the expanded universe, you want those three movie trilogies to be the big, you know, kind of blockbusters in the Star Wars universe. They they change major things about the galaxy. And I think the side stories, you know, like Rogue One and Rogue One, Rogue One, <laughs> uh, can tell kind of more intimate tales and fill in the kind of 
surrounding information around the universe. And I think that's fine. And, and the books do that too, right? And the comic books do that. It's it's We're getting back into rebuilding the extended universe. And I think you can do that with movies and TV shows and stuff like that. But the main tr- trilogies should be those kind of tentpole films that change the next series of side stories. Yeah, but think about it. Think about it this way, right? Um, with the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. right? We have well. First off, it's not like the event. The Avengers weren't like the main Marvel characters. No, when, because they were structured differently, right? But Spider Man was right. Spider Man. Yeah. So think about it this way: when they came out with Guardians of the Galaxy, those were like C players in the Marvel comic universe. Oh, absolutely. They're not big, but that's ended up being one of Marvel's biggest sort of breakouts of showing an, another side of the Marvel universe. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think and guardians is kind of a side story. Right. And I think yeah. you have that potential with, with star Wars of having another off over here story that's taking place in the universe that will be just as popular. But I, I guess my view is that the, the, the main threes, right. The main trilogies are really those high stakes, really important things happen in those movies. And if you want to tell something like uh, Guardians of the Galaxies in the Star Wars universe, it's a Star Wars story film. It's an anthology film. And that's kind of the model they've been trying to use. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, I, and we've talked at ad nauseum about nostalgia. They need to move beyond the characters we already know. Right. And we need to not just see slightly modified versions with different names and maybe ethnicities. We need to actually see new interesting characters. And and that'll be a challenge, I think. It could be good, but we'll see. I don't know. So I'm I, I don't know how I feel at this point. Maybe I'm just getting worn down as we get closer to the release of The Last Jedi and I'm starting to get a little fatigued. Yeah, I can see that. Um and and is this speaking of somebody who's loved Star Wars his entire life? And is a huge Star Wars fan, but I'm just kind of getting tired. And I kind of liked, in some ways, and, and heaven forbid I say this, my teenage self would not agree with me. I kind of liked that there were gaps between all of these movie series. And then allowed other creators to kind of fill in those gaps. Well, that's what I'm kind of hoping with this trilogy is it may not take place in the current timeline. That might give them an opportunity to go back to the old Republic. I don't think you are understanding. Maybe I'm not communicating no, well enough. I see what you're saying. You're saying I don't mean it, gaps in the universe timeline. You mean gaps. I mean real world gaps. If something gets really, really hot and oversaturated, then you walk away from it for a few years. Yeah, and then like you come Metroid. back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think that that has served Star Wars pretty well. Yeah, we didn't get tired of Star Wars always being here. I think we're at risk of getting tired of Star Wars always we're being saturated. Here. It's not. It's no longer going to be special because it just will be always it, around us and always being. It's just yeah. this franchise that Disney is beating the heck out of to make yeah. money, and you know, cranking out toys, which we're you know many of us are very happy with. Right. But at the same time, it doesn't feel special. Right. It isn't the thing that the re-release of the special editions was where I could take my children to go see it. And we, they would share that experience with me right now. It's just, Oh, it's another year. It's another copy of Madden or Assassin's Creed or the new star Wars movie. 
Yep. Star Wars is an annual franchise at this point, so. Yeah, and maybe even a biannual. Right. Because you'll have a side story come out in the summer, and then a main story. The Marvel thing. Every other year. Okay. Well, let's move on. To a Marvel thing. To a Marvel thing. thing. <laughs> yeah, a Marvel thing. Marvel's latest thing, as Marvel's a matter of fact. latest experiment. And uh, we're talking about Thor Ragnarok, as some of our listeners may refer to it as Thor Fraggle Rock. I want to assure you, this is based in uh, Norse mythology, and Fraggle Rock didn't exist then. So, are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I mean, those dozers could have easily <laughs> been dwarves. Oh my gosh! It's all it's all. Coming and we haven't seen now. any of the dwarves no. in the Marvel. Right, we haven't you know? So let's talk Thor. Oh sure. What did you think? I loved it, but I don't think it was really a Thor film. Really, I I think that Marvel didn't know what to do with Thor. You know, he's traditionally been this very super serious kind of heavy, and they've had so much success with Guardians being kind of off colored and, and galactic being the tone of the. The, the space heroes being kind of goofy mm-hmm. that when they said, well, you know what? We're going to make another Thor movie, but it's got to be different because nobody wants to see the dark world again. I don't think anybody who was in the dark world wants to see the movie again. Right. Um, there just weren't good enough stakes. And we need any excuse we can get to put Thor and Loki in a room together because not only do the two actors have an amazing chemistry. If you think about it, Loki and Thor are, you know, characters who've been in more films than anybody else at this point. Um, the only thing is I'm trying to figure out why they didn't manage to get Loki into Age of Ultron because he seems to perk up the room when he's in there. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the fact that they kind of, it felt like a side story. Yeah. Right. And, and it is feeding it, directly into where we're going with it, Avengers. It felt like the first true, just standalone Marvel story that you could take or leave. You don't have, I mean, there's some, there's some callbacks for some fans. Absolutely. Um, with previous Marvel movies. Um, but the other thing I took away from it is it felt like a modern eighties movie. Well, does it make sense? That fits completely into the modern nostalgia issues. Yeah, but not in the sense where it's calling on nostalgia. Just, just the um, I, maybe listen. It's not like Stranger Things, right? Okay. Where Stranger Things is really calling on nostalgia and mm-hmm. showing up pop culture. I'm talking about just the format of the movie. We don't get these sort of movies anymore. Where kind of the big action romp or the buddy, yeah, just buddy a, movie. Just, just something that so it's lethal weapon with superheroes. Yeah, just something that doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah. Like it does, but it doesn't. I mean, it, the humor's it's like Ghostbusters, right? The original, not the other one. Whatever, either of them. You have this <laughs> this ridiculous story of these dudes that develop ghost busting technology. Yeah, and a giant, you know, marshmallow man comes up. It's that same concept. Is you don't. You have uh, Salter at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you oh, have yeah. And Thor Asgard, is you much have... more laid back. Yeah. You know, and he's kind of like hanging out. Exactly. He's not worried. He's he's in, He's in. gotten past his arrogance. He's kind of humble, but at right. the same time, he knows that he's Thor. Right. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, he's put into this ridiculous situation where he's thrown on different planets. He has to get back, fight the bad guy. And it's all resolved at the end. Yeah, if there's anything that I would say was a weakness in the film, 
um, and I don't want to do spoilers here, but uh, I think that the villain, which is a typical Marvel problem, was a little undercooked. I don't think so. I think her character and her motivation were fine. Yeah. I, I And the stakes were certainly high enough. But it just, it seemed like she was chewing scenery more than she was interacting with the cast. Yeah. I mean, she didn't really interact with anybody other than Curse. Um, Scourge. Or Scourge, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah Curse died in Dark World. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there wasn't much interaction between her and Thor. I mean, there at the beginning and there at the end with Thor yeah. and Loki and, and everybody. Um, yeah, but I like that. I, I Again, I think the best villains other than dark world have come out of Thor. You've got Loki and you've got Hela. And I think they've been the best Marvel villains on the big screen other than Michael Keaton's character in Spider-Man, which isn't truly a Marvel villain. Yeah. And he definitely wouldn't be at that level to take on the Avengers. Right? Yeah. He's a Spider-Man. Villain. Yeah. He's a, spi- he's definitely a Spider-Man villain. And um, yeah, I mean, they, again, it fits into that eighties motif where you're not going to really, you're not really going to push the motivations beyond of this is their motivation and they're going to just. So if there's any miss that I think that they could have done with her better, if they could have tied her in with Thanos in some way, see to now, show that rising threat. I think that she's not gone. Well, okay. Minor spoiler. Thor defeats the bad guy at the end of the film, but um, I don't think that's really a spoiler, but I think she's going to be back because she's such a good character. And if you are a fan of the infinity gauntlet mm-hmm. time story, Thanos is trying Has to think about death. Empress death, which yeah. is a f- actual physical embodiment of death. And well, it's the eternal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a little too far fetched for the MCU right now. So they're going to throw that out. I think they're going to introduce Hela at some point to Thanos, and that will be more of his hmm. motivations. So, and I don't think that the the Avengers can take Thanos and Hela at the same time. There's no way, right? I, I just you couldn't. But that would be great. I mean, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And again, if you're familiar with Infinity Gauntlet, they don't, right? It's, well, and and so there's one call out in this movie that they actually fix the continuity. Oh so yeah, the yeah. fact that you know when Hela's walking through Odin's you know, trophy room. And she's kind of saying, well, you know, Odin was this old fake. He, he lied about everything, including some of his toys. And she, she picks up the infinity gauntlet and she goes fake and throws it. Yeah. For, for those that don't know in the first Thor, it, the Thor was the third movie in the MCU. Um, there's a scene where they're walking through the trophy room and the infinity gauntlet was in the background. At that point, it's just an Easter egg. Not a big deal. Yeah, they hadn't built they hadn't, this plan yet. They hadn't told you that Thanos was the end game of the MCU. And so that's become a problem because in Guardians Galaxy um, 1, Thanos puts on the gauntlet at the end of the film. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought it was back in Asgard. And it's been this ongoing whatever between fanboys. And they just dismissed it so so quickly of fake. Well, maybe that's the Infinity Gloves. The Infinity Slippers. No, gloves. Gloves come in pairs. No, they don't. Most gloves. Where do you go for your gloves? The store? I have to buy a right and I have to buy a left. <laughs> Just like sharks. <laughs> Anyhow. Wow, that was timely. Yeah. Back, <laughs> back, 
back to Thor, I thought it was really fun. I thought it was different than Guardians. I get what you're saying with the parallels between that and Guardians. Yeah. Because Guardians goes for, at least both films has gone gone for, more for a family sort of. So you're right. We, we don't have the, the daddy story as yeah. much in this that we kind of actually did have earlier in Thor. In the first one. Yeah. And maybe in the second one at the end, you know, where the interaction between Odin and Thor, which was probably one of the best parts of that film. I agree. Um, Noticeably missing from this film, anybody from Earth except for uh, the Hulk. Best best part. I, <laughs> I think that was, I think that's what drug down the first two Thor films is they tried to kind of keep him on Earth and the whole fish out of water was the best part about Thor. Mm-hmm. And I think they finally realized that they want, like you mentioned earlier, Thor's this really serious um, sort of Shakespearean character in the comics. Yeah. And he's the one that's like. Pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. And I, that doesn't really play well in... Well, you the, put him next to Tony Stark, who's a smart, smart ass. Yeah. And then, you know, Cap, who's Mr. Straight-Laced. Yeah. You can't have it, Thor also be straight-laced. Yeah, it hasn't really played well in the MCU. So, well, I think what they've done is just made him sort of the, the dumb jock. He's like the dumb jock, but he's nice dumb jock that you would be friends with. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's not he's not going to pick on kids. He's not a bully. Yeah. But, and actually, he stands up for his brother... Right. Who was bullied by the other Asgardians because he deserved it, but that's a whole other issue. Right. Um, yeah, no, you're right. So they, they had to walk a line with Thor because he's got to be a good guy and you can't not like him, but at the same time, where does he fit? Right. In the, you know, kind of, it's not, and I'm going to pull out something horrible in a second here. They don't have a holy trinity no. in Marvel like they do in DC. No, they have a du- They have a, a duel. Right, it's, Cap, it's Cap and Iron, and Iron Man. And then if you look at the extended superhero universe, you've got X-Men and Fantastic Four. Right. Those are the kind of the natural pairings. Right. Um, I will say this about Thor is even though it wasn't that serious, I think they did kind of close the trilogy, even mm-hmm. though, yeah. you know, with him sort of accepting his place as ruler of Asgard, you know, at the end of Dark World, yeah, not so good, but... He was reluctant, and he didn't find himself to worthy. be the leader or yeah. worthy of taking that role. And regardless of how it happens, he kind of accepts that at the end of... Well, you know, actually, he doesn't accept it at the end. He accepts it at the beginning. Yeah. If you think about it, he comes back to Asgard in the beginning of the movie, and he finds that Loki is you know, doing his Loki thing. He's impersonating Odin, acting very un-Odin-like. And yeah. it's been two years, they make that point, that he's been gone for two years. And he look, he walks right up, and he's like, "Okay, okay, quit the bullshit. I know who you are. Nobody's really fooled. Of course, everybody was fooled, but that's a whole other issue." Yeah. And he says, "All right, you're not. Where's our father? And you're not the leader of Asgard. And Odin needs to come back on the throne, or I need to take over." Right. And that's the movie starts, and then everything goes sideways from there. Exactly. So I thought that was a good wrap. Right, so yeah. you're showing this maturity in Thor as a character, and then they send him to the the junk planet where he encounters the Hulk, and this is two years later. So we've seen a maturity in the Hulk that didn't exist previously, and Banner's kind of the least used character in the film. Well, and they 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 finally played into the whole aspect of, of the Hulk and Banner of not being the same person. Right, they're they're two people competing over a body. Um, and Banner doesn't want to be Hulk anymore. 
and the Hulk has kind of enjoyed his independence uh, in the time being. So, well, and they've kind of flipped roles. Yeah. So Banner is what happens to the Hulk when the Hulk loses control. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of a parallel. Yeah. Whereas the Hulk's stronger, and he's gotten smarter, so he's got some of that intelligence that Banner has, but he's not at that level. He's basically a three-year-old. Yeah. Well, more closely probably a six- or seven-year-old, right? right? He's kind of got those perspectives. And uh, they have said that the Thor and the next two Infinity films are going to be sort of a trilogy for the Hulk um, Mm -hmm. in terms of character building. And we got a good amount of screen time with him in Thor. Not as much as I wanted. The Hulk, but not Banner. Yeah. And um, so they said they're going to kind of round out a story with him since they can't do a standalone Hulk film now. Yeah, because of the rights. rights, But But the other thing is the introduction of Valkyrie. Again, that character kind of steals the show for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, never overshadows the main characters. She really just feels like a natural fit yeah. in a way that Sif never felt like a natural fit. Yeah. A lot of people were saying that, Oh, she's the same as Sif and really no, they're no. two completely different characters. Um, and they really never built out the warriors three and uh, Sif was the strongest character of the bunch. And they, there wasn't really much character. Well, and they resolve any dangling plot threads with the warriors three in the first 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And so we'll just leave that. But Sif is not in the film. No. And is not wrapped up. Exactly. So there's a possibility that if Jamie Alexander's not off filming her TV show at the same time, they could have her come back in. Yeah. Um, which I think is nice. Um, we also, this version of Valkyrie is not the traditional version of Valkyrie that we get in the comic books. It's not Brunhild, right? Actually, Brunhild is in the movie. And you see her in the one flashback scene. Right. And but this is a Valkyrie, not the Valkyrie from the comics, which gives them a lot of freedom, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Anyhow, um, I definitely recommend Thor. If you weren't a fan of the first two, it doesn't matter. You don't you can see it without even there's a lot of callbacks to there's a surprising really Age of Ultron is really the movie you need to have seen before this. Not even really. But that's exactly my point. It's it's kind of because then, you know, well, Dark World. It helps because then you know that Loki sacrificed himself and then pulled well, the fast I, one I and think, all that. I, I think the film sums those moments up in itself. I don't yeah. think you need to see them. It's fun if you have barreled through Dark World or Age of Ultron to get those callbacks. But um, And whatever you do, do not volunteer for call for help. <laughs> I hate call of but it's so embarrassing. It's demeaning. <laughs> Anyhow, moving on. Sean. Yes. We need to have an intervention. About what? Sean, we, we've all been meaning to talk to you for a while. All, all of us. You and Mario and Link. Yeah, and Shovel Knight, too. And Shovel Knight, um, okay. I know that Sony is going to have a VR bundle with Skyrim. They are? Oh, no. On Black Friday? Yeah? You, you How much is it going to cost? I don't know. I don't care. You don't want it. I don't want it. You don't want it's it. It's Skyrim. Sean, it's VR. And? You don't want VR. No, I don't. VR is not ready for anybody yet. So, But it's Skyrim. But it's VR, Sean. Are they also doing Fallout? Fallout 4. What about Doom? And a Doom. And guess what? Here's the best part about all these games. You don't move. Get teleport. So it's not the games. No. Uh, I see what you're doing here. What? Are you sure you don't move? You don't move. 
I've heard that they fixed that problem. No, no, no. You just teleport. You have to point and click where you want to go. So you're bunny hopping you're across bunny hopping. Yep. Tamriel? You don't, you don't want this, man. It's it's Sony's VR. You don't want that. No. No, I really don't. And you don't but want... I have a PS4 Pro, it which was it... built to really exploit the power of the PSVR. <laughs> no. So, surprisingly, this will probably be the first edition of Skyrim that Sean will not that, own. At least not initially. For now. I, I don't think I'll buy it, but... I, I'm trying to talk them down from the ledge, my friends. So. No, I've had it in my Amazon queue once or twice when I've been like, <laughs> do I do it? But the problem, so here's the other thing that was announced on the uh, Sony blog. I, I knew all about this. This yeah. was a setup. But uh, the day it goes on sale on the 17th with the revised VR gear, the bundle goes down to $350. It's retailing at like 460 right now. It's new and it's immediately on sale for you. The exactly. The are passed down to you. On, during the Black Friday week sale, if you're a pro or a uh, plus member, you get it for 350. Though I don't know how they prove that since you're buying it from like Amazon. I don't know. I think it's all marketing. What? Anyway, enough with the VR. Enough of the VR. So here's our one. No, I guess we started with Nintendo, but here's our actual <laughs> Nintendo story this week. Breath of the Wild DLC. Oh, you skipped a story. What? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Well, I'll, we'll go back to that. Okay. We'll get, we'll get the Nintendo thing out of the way, and then we'll go back to that. Oh, okay. That, that'll make you better in the end. Um, Breath of the Wild's second DLC pack, they've said, is still coming out this year. Yes. And, and nobody knows anything about it. We have no idea. I mean, they've said it's going to have a new dungeon. It's going to be a new story. I think it's going to be a first-person shooter. But we've not seen a trailer for it. We haven't had a Nintendo Direct about it. We've still got a month. What are you worried about? I'm not worried. I'm just... It's weird. You've already bought it anyways. I have already purchased the deals Because you love season passes. Yep. You fall for that. You will buy season passes sight unseen of the content. I if ha- it's the right season pass. You've done pass. that too. I have not. And it absolutely has nothing to do with our next story. You've done that. I, yeah. Anyhow, it. I guess the point stands is the champion uh, Amiibos have come out. Yeah, which you plugged last week. Did I? Yes. Oh, well, I have them now. They're sitting right next to us. <laughs> and we don't have... It's just really weird for Nintendo. Even I mean, because we're... Even for Nintendo. Because we're, what, halfway through November? Yeah, roughly. And if it comes out this year, Nintendo usually gives a month in advance of what... So they're maybe doing. they're not going to make their original release date. That, that could be possible. Which is not unusual with Nintendo. But they've... I mean, they've reconfirmed within the past few weeks that it's going to be out this year. So that's, it comes out the 31st of December. That's most likely at this point. Yeah. So anyhow, next, Sean. Yeah. Speaking of season passes. Yes. Like the one I bought for this. Injustice 2. Injustice 2. The third character pack. And it has. A, I thought it was the second. No, this is the third. Second had Hellboy. Oh, that's right. And still isn't out yet. This has got two. No, that's out. <laughs> Is Hellboy out? Yeah. I knew Black Lightning was out. I didn't see yeah, Hellboy. It's out. it's out. Okay, I have we'll to play it after it. this. Um, it's got two of your most favorite characters. Uh, huh? It's got Adam. No. You love Adam. Well, which Adam? Is it? Is it Ray Palmer or, or um, Ryan Choi? We don't know. <laughs> okay. And it's got Enchantress, you know, from the hit blockbuster movie uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah. And she's so big in the DC universe. No. 
Oh, wait, that's right. No, those are actually two. So terrible... are they really out of people they could have brought into this game? That's what's weird is I thought there, they would bring... there's a huge number of characters they could bring in that they don't have in this game. I yet. thought they would bring like another Batman character or somebody or maybe one of the people that were wasn't Injustice 1 that didn't make it to Injustice 2. But no, but here's the kicker. Okay. Instead of three people in this third character pack, there's six. Whoa. I've mentioned two. There's four more coming. Four more? Yeah. Huh. Are you excited for this? That sounds like they're I just bringing, get... They're bringing some... They're comic characters. They're okay. from comics. So they pull in another Hellboy where they like bring in somebody from like The Walking Dead and make them into this game or something? Um, It's before... These comics go back to the 80s. Okay. Archie and Jughead? I want that now. I, I, want, I do want that. <laughs> and nope. Veronica and Betty, right? Because you got to be, four. you got to have all four. No, let me stop beating around the bush. The teenage mutant Ninja turtles are coming to injustice of all places. Well, the turtles are known for hopping through multiverse. And there is a canonical reason to bring them into a DC game. Cause they fight the, Batman, the Batman crossover that came out last year. There's a new one. It's coming out this like next month. And it was really good. I, I really recommend that. Yeah. If you're a fan of Batman and Turtles and... It was it was good almost on the level of Justice or uh, Green Lantern and Star Trek. Oh, that was good. Yeah, those were good. And there was two of those. But what I was getting at is even if you're not a comic book fan, mm-hmm. if you like Batman and you like Turtles, it's a six episode, six issue arc. Well, and like I said, there's, an, there's so a sequel good. series coming out next month. I'm excited now. Yeah. Um, well, on top of the dark universe stuff and on top of metal, dark, Knight yeah, the, the dark, the Batman metal stuff is wrapping up at the same time that doomsday clock is kicking off, which doomsday clock is a year long event. It seems like DC's getting their gears into order, which we didn't put this in here, but I'll bring it up now. They also just stole key talent away from Marvel. Yeah. They got, uh, Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. They, they signed an exclusive contract was pretty famous for creating the ultimate universe in Marvel and, and really kind of directing the vision of Marvel the last 20 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so he's now at DC. I think it's good. So we'll see how it all works, but Marvel's uh, comics. The, I don't know. Anyhow. Um, so yeah, the turtles are coming. Stop messing with the, the show notes. <laughs> I was going to move that up. Um, turtles are coming to injustice. It looks awesome. And as I was telling Sean earlier, that hasn't been really a good Turtles fighting game. There was some for no, this really Nintendo. Hasn't. I think they've been in other games. And the arcade fighting game wasn't too bad. It wasn't fun. But it was like 18 years ago. I know. I think... I think It's not Street Fighter, Nether but... Realm is going to make fighting with the Turtles really fun. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, Sean. Yes. We had a Direct, Nintendo Direct this week. The reason you bought the Switch. It is. Um, what do you think of the Nintendo Direct? So, as a fan of, of the Xeno games, going all the way back to the PS1, um, and having lived through Xeno Saga, and it kind of not doing as well as it should have on the PS2, um, I got Xenoblade Chronicles X last year, or is it two years ago now, I guess? It was two years ago. Yeah. Um, and it played a lot like an open world kind of fantasy sci-fi game. Like an MMO, you said. Yeah, it, it really does play like an MMO. Uh, whereas the original Xenoblade Chronicles was much more your traditional Japanese JRPG 
with some sci-fi fantasy blending. Um, this is kind of going back to that formula from what we've seen. And it falls on a lot of the standard JRPG kind of tropes with, you know, a, a young teenage protagonist meets a mysterious girl. There's an evil empire and a, an assassin who looks a lot like Sephiroth, honestly. Mm, no. Who, just like Cloud, kills the main character the first time they meet. And basically, that leads to this mysterious girl giving the main character some power. And then everybody in the world's chasing that guy, and except for his four plucky friends who are there to help him survive and get through their own things. It really plays out formulaically, but I'm okay with that. This might be the first game that I sit and just play without being connected to a TV because I'm old. And, you know, enjoy, other than my Hulu. Yeah, which just came out for the Switch. Which also just came out for the Switch. Um, Speaking of JRPGs for the Switch, so you've got this format. um, And then we also have uh, Project Octopath coming out next year, early next year. Yeah, I don't know much about that. Um, So it's made by the same team that did the uh, Bravely Default games. Mm -hmm. And it really looks like they're choosing that format for this one as well. Okay. Um, So you might want to look into it. Um, yeah, it's down your path. It's sort of like a return to form, like to older Final Fantasy games, sort of an older, more traditional JRPG format. Well, and that's the one thing that we've been kind of surprised about is that Square Enix has not announced any version of Final Fantasy 15 for the Switch yet. I think it's coming. I, I think you're right. I mean, it's coming to the PC next. Yeah. And then VR. Yep, on the PSVR, which will be $350 on Black Friday week, bundled with Skyrim VR. And you can fish, on, which is exactly what you want to do. Oh, I love fishing games if they're in <laughs> VR. Um, last on our tangent, tangential list, um, BlizzCon was last weekend. It was. And Blizzard usually throws a pretty solid, like... Well, and this is the first year or probably in the last five i felt like they were really focused on world of warcraft like yeah. really focused on world yeah. of warcraft yeah so they they did announce a new expansion i forgot the name of it do you remember i don't because i haven't played world of warcraft in like eight years i know um they also announced that they're gonna do a vanilla warcraft server. yeah they're doing classic servers and which I'm, might actually get me to play well that's what i that's what i'm really wondering and i, I would ask our audience and their input on this is there was, there was, this has been in the news for the past two years. A couple of fans made a vanilla server mm-hmm. and Blizzard shut them down. Yeah. They're emulators basically. And to me, I, I to me, it doesn't seem like there's a, that much demand for it, but I could be wrong. And I think, you know, for Blizzard to announce this, is it one of those things where people are going to go and try it for a few months and they're like, Oh, that was neat. And then move away from well, it. Okay, so let's think about how much that game has changed. It has changed fundamentally, yeah. Right? Phasing is a completely new technology that didn't exist. Right. So you couldn't really have an instanced world that was actually responsive to you when you started playing. Right. Everybody did the same basic quests. There were five races. There were two factions. And you only got, I think, in the original war, wow, I think you only got up to level 50 Mm -hmm. or 60. Yeah. No, it's fifty. No, it was fifty because yeah. sixty was Burning Crusade. Exactly. Um, and and I stopped playing right around Burning Crusade. So right. Um, 
So they, I know part of this expansion is they're bringing some elements of uh, Warcraft Three into it. So mm-hmm. some RTS elements. They're refocusing on the battle. They're refocusing on the Battle of Azeroth of the two factions. They're kind of bringing, which is what the expansion's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, they're kind of bringing it back to what. It, originally started was. well so we've we've done the whole go off to duratar and deal with where the orcs came from and right and the dark portal and all of that stuff mm-hmm. and then they come back and they've done with the cataclysm they've dealt with you know the legions of demons and and they've kind of purged the demonic influence right and so now they're kind of going back to what the problem is is they've got orcs and humans sharing this planet and contention for resources. So we get the Horde versus the Alliance. And neither one looks like they did in classic WoW or even right. Warcraft yeah. at this point. Because they've all kind of been decimated after the war with the demons. And again, I haven't played in years and I know this stuff. I don't know why I know this stuff. Because I haven't followed WoW. But I think it's just it's that influential on the... on the. I mean, it's, it's Blizzard's... It's, it's that's Blizzard. It's core to their company. And the one thing that Blizzard has always been known for in World of Warcraft is spontaneously creating continents. <laughs> yeah, which they have done once again. Yeah, there's two new continents. Speech. But um, is this enough to get you to even try it again? Me? No. So, I mean, I'm I'm kind of, and this is the same reason we were talking earlier about Final Fantasy 14. I don't want to pay a subscription to play an MMO anymore. Yeah. Um, when I was an active MMO player, when I had the time, uh, I really was focused on lifetime subscriptions. So like Lord of the Rings, I have lifetime subscription. Uh, I was going to do it for Star Trek online with Guild Wars. It was buy once play forever and ESO, which is the only one I'm still kind of playing is buy once play forever. While I I just, I, I tried Star Wars when it went free to play and I was like, you know, I don't want to pay a monthly subscription. Yeah. Wow. I, I played wow three different times and I, I love that world. Mm-hmm. I loved playing it. Um, I don't know. I might go back to it. Someday. My problem is time. It's, it's exactly. It's a big and, and for me, suck. MMOs are always about social yeah. aspects and playing with other people right. and coordinating times to play with people. Yeah. And for me, that's never been, I meet random people on the internet and we become friends and lifelong, well, wait, hold on. Quest mates. Oh no, we, we did that, but that was before the internet was a bunch of jerks. So yeah, exactly. Um, but when I played MMOs, I would make a regular standing meeting on Thursday nights. You know, we were all adults. We got together. We, we put the kids down, not like permanently. We just put them to bed. We put them to sleep. Yeah. We put them in bed and then we would play from like seven o'clock to midnight every Thursday. And and we would go and do dungeons and advance people's characters and all of that stuff. But I don't know that I have the energy or enough people interested to do that at this point. Yeah. That's what's really weird about wow is I think they've got a still a good core base. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But those people are so, if you've been playing wow all these decades, you're so far beyond what I would be comfortable playing with. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm a casual MMO player. I don't think I've ever max leveled a single character in an yeah, MMO until Destiny. Right, right. <laughs> um, so there was some other news about uh, BlizzCon. StarCraft Two is going free to play. It has gone 
free to play. It's already happened. So that's for the multiplayer component. The single player campaigns are still purchase. Um, they gave everybody that purchased uh, Wings of Liberty upgrade. So if you had Wings of Liberty, you got upgraded to uh, Heart, of the, Heart of the Swarm. If you had Heart of the Swarm, you got upgraded to Legacy of the Void. Really? True. Huh. Um, as just so you and I both have Heart of the Swarm now. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Interesting. Um, but it's not enough to bring me back to StarCraft. Again, StarCraft is one of those games where if I played casually with friends, and we've done this, right? We did a, we didn't do StarCraft 2. We did StarCraft 1. Right. We had a LAN party a number of years ago where um, actually Jen was yeah. slaughtering everybody. It was amazing. But uh, I, I don't know that this is the game that's going to bring me back either. I Well, as soon as I take the PC that you gave me and I probably will go back and play the second campaign of Starcraft. Um, no, I played for the story, but I'm yeah. not going to play multiplayer. multiplayer because the Korean players will kill me even in their sleep. So. Well, I think that's what we might need to do from land party. But, oh, okay. Yeah. Can you do private games? I didn't think you could. Yeah. Yeah, you can. I'd almost rather do Diablo three as a land party. We can do either Sean or even Diablo two. Ooh. Um, before we get there, so there was a lot of Overwatch this stuff here. Yeah. Overwatch is kind of Blizzard's big thing now. Um, there was a new, uh, cinematic featuring Reinhardt. Yes. Which which was really good. I really liked it. I recommend you, we'll, we'll link to it. And then there was an introduction of a new character. Uh Uh-huh. Who we've gotten her backstory, but not a cinematic for yet. So we'll see how she plays. She, she's, she's another support character. Mm -hmm. Um, and... She is sort of similar to Anna in the aspect she can heal players and harm players at the same time. Um, and she's more of a sort of mage character. Without being a sniper. Right. Yeah. So. Um, also, they announced, and this is my favorite part about BlizzCon, is there's a new map for Overwatch. A Blizzard World map. Blizzard World. Yeah. And it calls back to Diablo, StarCraft, Warcraft, and Hearthstone. And Isn't there a map in one of the uh, Overwatch maps or a poster in one of the Overwatch maps for Lost Vikings 6? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that's a, it's an arcade game in the Hanamura map. Okay. And um, Blizzard is actually in the universe of Overwatch because the character D.Va is actually a StarCraft player. Yeah, she was a competitive esports. gamer. And in the first cinematic, the security guard's playing Hearthstone and not paying attention to what's in the camera. So just a lot of meta fun stuff. Well, and and this is the one transition I think we saw this year with BlizzCon is they moved away from talking a lot about Hearthstone. Yeah. They've really focused the last three years on Hearthstone. Right. Uh, they actually put some focus on a game that they haven't given a lot of love, which is Heroes of the Storm. Right. And they talked about who was coming over from the various worlds and it's a big 2.0 update, changing a lot of the the HUD elements, and mm-hmm. just I, instead of doing uh, what Dota has been doing, they're kind of going back and appealing more to casual fans. Yeah, they're not trying to become League or Dota. Yeah, they're basically saying, "Hey, look, you want to go play the super ultra competitive tower defense games? Go over there." Yeah. Right, but we're gonna have some fun, and it's gonna be casual, and yeah, there's microtransactions because you love that. You love that. Uh, in, in this one, you buy characters and in, in character skins instead of just getting cosmetics. Them. Yeah, I guess I, that's the one thing I don't like about heroes of the storm is you have to purchase it, but that's typical in that MOBA yeah. arena. Um, and then the one, one game that got really no love at all 
and, and granted it had an expansion come out last year so it's it's been paid attention to is diablo yeah we didn't get any diablo news no expansion no updates on seasons or any updates to the game for diablo 3 yeah the only the only news we got about diablo was actually a kind of a throwaway conversation with the developers where they said we have we're not going to remake warcraft meaning the old warcraft not world warcraft or diablo because we don't think they're quite ready yet meaning that the gameplay hasn't been tweaked to the point that they're ready to do a whole relaunch like they did with StarCraft. So, we'll see. Yeah. And you think they're going to be relaunching Diablo 2? I think that if they picked a game to relaunch, it would be Diablo 2. Diablo 1, they've already kind of relaunched with the anniversary event in Diablo 3. Yeah. But it's not really the same. Plus, Diablo is pretty... The it's hard to play Diablo now, and, actually. And yeah, it doesn't hold up. Diablo 2, a lot of people have fond memories of Diablo 2. So. And we, again, another topic that we didn't put in here is a, a, a standalone tangent, but it's related to the Diablo conversation. So the many of the creators who created the original Diablo and Diablo 2 left a number of years ago right. to create Torchlight yeah. and Runic games. And uh, they were purchased by Perfect World. There was supposed to be a rune or a Torchlight MMO that never came to pass. And I guess two weeks ago, they shut down the studio. Yeah. So there won't be a Torchlight 3 with those people, at least. Yeah. Uh, which is unfortunate. For those of us who love Torchlight. Yeah. Because it's really Diablo 2. Yeah, they were, they were really... And those both came out before Diablo 3, right? Diablo 2... Or Diablo 3 came out... A week after Torchlight 2. Yeah. So, I mean, Torchlight, I played the first one. It was a lot of fun, and it was... It's basically Diablo. Yeah, but it was... Unlike Diablo 3, it was just... Uh, I don't know. It was They, they introduced a lot of new things to the, the formula. And, Absolutely. Many um, of which they'd actually been working on with a game that they'd made when they were flagship studios called Mythic. Yeah. Um, and Mythic, didn't, Mythic went away, just right. like... Hellgate London, which was another Diablo-like shooter. Now we look back at Hellgate London, and you look at Destiny, and there's, there's some interesting parallels. Yeah, but uh, so that's sad. Um, we've spent a lot of time on tangents this month. We have or this week. Yeah. Well, we're going to go into our main topic this week: coffee. Coffee. No, I'm I'm having a. So this week, we're following on from a conversation that we had last week around how do we actually talked about mods, and I think we've talked about mods in a few different ways, but the one that we really haven't talked about is, and, and this is something I used to run into a lot when I was uh, working as an active game journalist for a number of outlets, is people would always ask me, so, you know, I want to be a game designer, how do I get into game design? Um, and we talked a little bit last week about my creative epiphany that I had, right, where I started doing all this creative work because we haven't been doing a podcast. <laughs> um, and it's kind of the same thing, right? So 
this, this drive to create something, and I've been creating what is effectively a tabletop game or a setting for a tabletop game. And it got me to thinking, you know, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be a game designer. And we've talked kind of sideways about this in the way that we were talking about fan remakes and kind of um, homage games a few weeks back. But I don't think we actually started talking specifically about, so you have this game concept in your head. How do you make that real? Right, and we've, we've touched on another aspect of this with telling a story through tabletop games. Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't focus on the game aspect so much. So. Right, which at the heart of every video game is the concept of a game theory, right? So you have systems, you have mechanics, you have the means by which you tell your game. Now, it doesn't mean that every game's narrative, Right, So you're not always a character. Sometimes you're a marble and has to jump from one hole to another. Maybe in those types of games, you're not talking about you know, a lot of systems, but you're probably relying on things like, I need to be able to model physics. I need to be able to present a, an obstacle and then figure out how does the player overcome that obstacle, and there have to be rules around that. So if you haven't and challenge. Well, and challenge is hopefully, I mean, the perfect mix of capability, interest, and narrative, potentially story, and challenge is what makes a great game, in my mind. Um, but one of the questions that we talk about is, you have your idea for a game, what do you do? Have you ever tried to make a game, Jared? Uh... I'm trying to think. I think I've tried to make some in some of those engines or back in the day on PC where you tried to make a platformer or something. You know, it's kind of. So like Pico or. Yeah, not Pico. I'm thinking way like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Turtle and Logo. Something something like that. (laughs) And um, even with even with games like Mario Maker, where Mm -hmm. you're kind of you're given the tools, you know, you're making a Mario level. So they've figured what game you're making, but that's your tool set. And the rules are already built for you there. Right. Well, and I wanted to focus on a little bit more today. You're starting from scratch is going where you don't have, I mean, it's not like a Neverwinter nights where you can inherit the entire D and D rule set and right. design a world and place things and put triggers. And I mean, you can do all of that with a game engine, but when you're talking about starting out as a games designer, Understanding systems is really the first thing you have to get your head around. Right. Um, building a game is much more um, than just simply deciding you have a character and an interesting concept and, and throwing it over the fence at somebody and saying, figure this out. Well, and I, I, I hate to bring Nintendo into this conversation, but... No, you don't. No, I don't. <laughs> one, of their, one of their core concepts, this is something that people may not realize about Nintendo, is before they make a game or make a Star Fox game or a Mario game, mm-hmm. they don't start, we're going to make another Mario game. They really don't do that. They they play test concepts and mechanics, mm-hmm. engines, and Well, in a lot of apply. cases, that starts with a tabletop. Right. Right? So you build the, you know, the cones of Dunmore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you say, oh, now I'm going to take these concepts right. and turn them into a video game or I'm going to turn it into a role-playing game. Right. And so, you know, we were talking about the concept I had for this role-playing game scenario. And 
what I've decided to do, I mean, I've got the rule engine, which in a video game language would be like, I have Unity or I have Unreal Engine or I'm using RPG Maker. Right. Right. So I've got the foundation. And in a tabletop role-playing game, I'm using like Pathfinder or Starfinder or D20, which are all D&D based games. And then what I'm doing is I'm taking those formulas and I'm breaking them down to their component parts. And I'm going, okay, so to represent a character, you have these attributes. And these attributes have a mathematical range from X to to Z. And where you fit on that range is a bell curve. And understanding if you have these attributes with these scores, you're most likely to be this type of character. And kind of taking it back to formula is really what I'm doing. And it's largely what a lot of game designers have to do to actually prototype a game. Um, For those of you who are much more video game oriented, of course, you're going to come back and you're going to go, well, uh, you don't have to do that for video games because you push the X button and it jumps. No, you have to figure out how high do you jump? Yeah, do you have weight game, and gravity? Your your momentum, like that's the difference between a Mario game and a Donkey Kong game. They're both platformers. They play completely differently. Yeah, and it has to be fun. I mean, there are other games. If you go back to the NES era, in the video game realm, mm-hmm. a lot of people had ideas. They're gonna make we're gonna make a platformer, and they didn't play test it, or I mean, they made it too difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, they made the game so much that they were playing it so often and testing it. They're like, oh, well, this is challenging. We're having fun. And when it went to their audience, which they didn't play test back then, right? the gamers found it way too difficult and not fun and too challenging and, and that. So part of making a game is, yeah, like what you're writing it now, starting small, figuring out your content, getting that core element you focus on that core stuff first, mm-hmm. and then what you do is you build upon that. So, and I'm talking kind of from the perspective of an academic here because this is what I studied in college, right? And I didn't end up doing it, but, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about is you start with a very small concept. You, you put together a, a kind of a, think of it like a business plan. What's my business going to do? What do I want to accomplish? Make What's widgets. my mission statement? Making widgets. Well, if the game is about making widgets, how do I make making widgets fun? And how do I vary up gameplay well enough that one widget is different than another widget? And is there an advantage to that? I mean, you start walking down these kind of conceptual brainstorms. And the goal would be to write that down, right? So figure out what you want to make. Figure out how you're going to make it. And how you're going to make it is going to be an evolutionary conversation. Right? You're going to path or prototype something and you're going to think on paper it looks great and then you're going to go and you're going to, if you're doing a video game especially, you're going to go into your engine and you're going to say, okay, here's the libraries that I have available to me. I don't have to code how the physics in the world work because I have a physics library and it has some predefined variables and I can adjust those to make changes. And in to be fair, I'm not saying that you can make games without understanding computer programming. Um, there are some toolkits out there where you don't have to know how to code. Absolutely. But you're absolutely yeah. going to have to understand how to script. Yeah. Right? And not only that, you have to understand... I think the biggest thing is when you go... Because you mentioned mods here is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. 
And when you go and play mods, uh, mods are a place where a lot of video game developers start their careers. And they experiment. Right, because they have all the basics figured out, and they're trying to expand upon that and do something that changes the game enough to be fun. And what you'll see, and Sean and I have our battle on this from time to time, <laughs> is a lot of mods are just not fun. It's it's somebody experimenting. And the same thing goes to like Mario Maker or something like that. Is 90% of the stuff is rubbish. Mm-hmm. Because people haven't figured out core concepts to a point where they have a balance, right? They'll, they'll want to make a really challenging level. Well, balance takes work. Balance, balance takes experience. Well, it, it takes experience too. And it takes feedback. Right. So if you're creating something in a vacuum that you think is the greatest thing in the world and you hand it out to the world and you don't pay attention to the response you get back, then you're really not interested in making a game. And in this, I guess, could be controversial, but my view is that a game isn't a game until people have played it. And... What I'm effectively going to do with my game concept is kidnap a bunch of my friends, feed them pizza and beer, and say, okay, here's the world, here's the concepts, let's figure out who you want to be in this world, and then I'm going to walk them through how do they create a character, what are their powers, what do they... How do they resolve crises? All of those things. And and if you're not a fan of tabletop role-playing games and you want to tell uh, a narrative system game or you want to do a role-playing game on a computer, you need to start with the tabletop. Um, because here's the one thing you get at a tabletop that you don't get with a video game. Interaction. I can dynamically adjust based on the responses of the players at the table. Once I code that into a rule of law inside a game engine, the only way I adjust that is by feedback and patching that code. And sometimes with with video game, with coding, and as we know with programming, is you change one thing, it has... it. it it, it unravels. Unravels a lot of other systems. Especially so. if you haven't thought about the systemic relationships. Right. And I, I imagine for... You know, people who like to play games but don't really want to make games or, or just kind of tossing around the idea, I've got an idea for a game and I want to do. Um, you know, you want to make a platformer. Okay, so what are the rules of this world? How does the character interact with the world? How does the player interact with the character? You start with these very basic things and you write them down. You build basically a design Bible. And it will change. And it will evolve. And you will go down you know, paths where you thought this was going to be a platformer about this mutant mutant grape that is trying to avoid being turned into wine or something. And next thing you know, you've got Watership Down, the video game. Yeah. Another thing I'd point out is a lot of people kind of, they, they want to tell a story. They want to make a game. And what you see a lot of people do is they put the, uh, I don't know what the, uh, good analogy is is they rush to build the cake and then they they spend all their time with the icing if that's a good analogy (laughs) Um, what i'm saying is they don't focus on the core elements first they go to kind of flesh things out right well it's like if you're somebody who wants to make a visually impressive game and you don't understand the game you want to make you just want it to be pretty yeah you're 
probably not going to get very far. You're not a games designer. You want to be an artist. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, uh, yeah. If you want to go to games design or any world building or any foundational stuff, an architect, right? Mm-hmm. You don't focus on those pretty elements first. A lot of play engine testing for video games, and it's oh, and, and if you haven't been through a development process. You will find placeholder animations. You will find that's placeholder right. objects. That's exactly where I was going. You're yeah. going to have blocks fighting other blocks, shooting blocks, you know, right. in a block world. Because at this point, you're trying to figure out if the gameplay loop works, right. not whether it looks pretty. Right. And here's the other thing. I w- it, it's really hard, outside of very simple games, to do it by yourself. And I have in the show notes a question of who do you work for, right? Well, at the outset, you're probably working for you. If your goal, if you if you want to be one of those people who cranks out a game, puts it on Steam, and makes billions of dollars, guess what? That's not likely to happen. So if you're not doing this because you want to do it, and that you are interested in this process, you probably should abandon hope before you get too far. And, I mean... And you need to find other people to help you because most of us do not have all the skills necessary to make a good game. And and another thing I'd point out, and I think it's something that we all fall prey to, is when we watch a movie, we play a game, we play a tabletop game, just because you've played a lot of something or watched a lot of something, Mm -hmm. you've seen it on the end of the product side, doesn't make you an expert. No, not at all. You know, a lot of people go into a lot of a lot of careers. We, you know, I'm an IT professional by day. You know, we like oh, working with computers, fun. You know, <laughs> and, and you're like, uh, not in my life. Yeah, and <laughs> there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes you don't see. You know, that that's really what the world is. And the same thing with movie making. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff you see. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of compromise. There's a lot of with anything, and um. The, where was I going to go with that? I'm I just, not sure. I dropped off. The train left the but, station. But what I will say is, even if you're not making a narrative game where you have a role-playing game, if you're making a puzzle game or you're making a platformer, most designers will prototype that as a board game. Yeah. To test the rules, to test the probability, to figure out how it all works, and then you take that physical thing and you convert it. And... Again, where I was saying that we don't all have all the skills that we're going to need. I am pretty good at composing music, but I wouldn't call myself a composer. And I'm pretty good at graphic art because I have training in it. But I'm going to go find a graphic UI designer right. to help me. And those are your hobbies. They're not your expertise. Right. right. Now, if you talk about rule systems and you talk about probability, ironically, which are math-based... <laughs> I was told there would be no math. Yeah, you see, there's the irony in that statement. (laughs) You know, when we talk about narrative systems and we talk about development systems and growth systems and storytelling systems, I have a huge depth of understanding and knowledge in not just the concepts of storytelling, but also how do you represent that growth pattern? And that came from years of studying and playing and running games with human beings and studying psychology 
and studying probability and studying game theory and formulas and gameplay loops and all this other stuff. It all goes back to <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so it's a wonderful pipe dream to say, I have this brilliant concept that I want to make a game out of. It is quite another thing to make it real. And maybe you're not ready the first time you come up with that idea, but if you really have a passion and you're really interested in doing these things, there are so many kind of open source game development and they often are mods or total conversion groups where they're looking for help and they may not be looking for help that you necessarily understand how to provide. But even if you can't be a 3d modeler at this point, or you're just starting and you don't feel like you can contribute, you might be able to assist on the program side you know, documentation, or you can help track milestones and communicate. I mean, everybody can contribute to a game project. The other thing is that game development, especially video game development, is software development. So if you are a software programmer and you're developing commercial software for a living, the same workflow processes that you use every day to put out that next rev of code at your job will likely apply. If you are somebody who's working on big multi-million dollar, you know, proposals and contracts, there's elements of that that also apply to, to how to design and manage a project like a game. And the best way to learn is by doing. And the best way to do is to just jump in because there's somebody out there who needs your help. And as you develop those relationships and you work on those projects, the next thing that happens is they say, well, okay, we're wrapping up this one. Hey, I've got this idea. I'd like to try it. Do you know anything about this stuff? Well, I know you do, and I know you do, and I need help with these things. Let me pitch it to you. This, this is all sounding like a recruiting video for your, your project right now. <laughs> it, it's not meant to. Not at all. Um, because what I'm doing is very kind of personal, yeah. right? I have no interest at this point in making it a big thing. Yeah. Um, I have interest in bringing in people that are interested in helping me, but I'm still trying to figure out how to even do that. Right. And, you know, when it comes to game rules, unfortunately, I'm having conversations with, uh, the person who's helping me right now. He volunteered. He's a listener of the podcast. And uh, he came back and he's like, so how do we want to do this? And I'm like, well, I'm going to set up a Discord and we're just going to talk back and forth. And here's the background information and here's the rule systems. And, you know, let's figure out what makes sense. And I need to bounce ideas off you. And we're at the point where he's like, so what you're saying is we just get together physically and, you know, roll a bunch of characters and see if it works. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the way that that works. And then we'll take some characters and we'll put them in some very defined scenarios and see if the math still works or they're overpowered. If it's, it's a lot too of easy. iteration. Yeah. It, it is all about iteration. Right. And then at some point we'll be to the point where I say, Hey Jared, this Saturday we're going to get together and we're going to play this game. And Jared will go, uh, I guess <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me. Just not until after one. So, what what other advice would you give people? I think not only just doing it, but there's there's tons of resources out there now. There are. So there's game development 
open source game development groups in a lot of cities. Uh, if you're here in Columbus, there's an active game dev group that meets at a makerspace locally that you could become a member of and then identify projects. And they do things like, you know, games done quick, where you do a 30-day game smash. You come from prototype, concept to prototype to finish game in 30 days. Right. And you can get involved in those things. And again, if you're not a programmer, you may be able to contribute in some other way. And that's what you really should kind of focus on. Right. Um, when you talk about video games and game engines, uh, obviously we talked about Unreal. Right. We've talked about Unity and RPG Maker. Pico is for programming, graphics programming. It's very small, lightweight games. Um, there's tons of open source game engines that these companies put out there and allow you to just play with. The challenge is going to be, all right, if you want to be a designer, if you want to do 3D modeling, Blender is free. And there's tons of tutorials that will teach you how to do 3D animation and rendering and all of that. Uh, 3D Studio Max used to be a thing, but... Yeah. I mean, we're... There there are tons of tools and resources. And if you're interested in doing it, the best thing to do is get into a subreddit on game design or go and talk to people locally. Reach out to game designers that you know. Here's a crazy concept I'm going to throw at you right now. There are books on this stuff now. There are lots of books. The challenge with books, especially it's like any IT book, right? The, The more concrete books that talk about building things um, and I do have a P- I actually have a book called uh, RPG in a Weekend, which is built around an old version of RPG Maker, mm-hmm. and the, and it kind of talks through all of these things. Right. Uh, but the problem is the tools may change. Right, and that's not what I'm talking about because tools software develops. What I'm saying is the core concepts never change. Right. Building right. a building a um, a wireframe of your 3D model. Build how to build anatomically correct humans. You know mm-hmm. the art concepts. The main gameplay loops of, you know, incentive and reward and challenge and risk versus reward. Those those concepts. Yes. You can read about without knowing what tool you're going to be building. In fact, what you should do is come up with your concept first. Yes. And then figure out what tool you're going to use to achieve that. Yeah, because some engines are... are prone to work better for some things. Right. Like Unreal is a a beautifully powerful rendering engine uh, that can do amazing graphics. But, and it's got a good physics engine too. The problem is that if you're just making a very basic puzzler, you probably... (laughs) Oh my gosh. Tetris and the Unreal uh, engine would be amazing. Depending on how you built it, yeah. Side tangent. Have you ever played realistic Tetris? No. Instead of the uh, blocks uh, Turning. snapping to 90 degree angles, it's full 360 movement. Oh, boy. I'll, <laughs> I'll have to link to it. It is fun, and it's very challenging. Okay. That and sounds it's fun. an example of where your game concept doesn't fit in your engine. But <laughs> yeah. um, um, Whereas Unity has a 2D and a 3D engine. Right. Right. Um, RPG Maker uses kind of the old school... Turn-based. JRPG turn-based. Yeah. But it also has an engine for mobile. So you can build a tablet game or an Android game or an iOS game. Um, and these all come with the engine. The other thing is art resources, right? So not all of us are artists. There are tons of art assets available for prototyping. I do not recommend releasing a full game 
with stuff out of the Unity Asset Store. Yeah. Though we see it all the time. Um, for no, prototyping, if you're, if you're it's making not a good proof idea. of concept, then yeah, for a proof of concept, it's fine. Don't. My recommendation is don't. <laughs> so where would you leave leave this leave this? So if you are somebody who dreams of being a game designer and you haven't been uh, just voraciously absorbing game concepts, game design concepts, you haven't been talking to other designers pro or amateur, it doesn't really matter. That's where do you start, right? Do a little reading, but don't read too long. Actually find some of these tools and start playing with them. Figure out if you really have the endurance for right. what this is going to take. I think it's a lot. Of, I mean, we all have dreams and aspirations. Yeah. But dreams and aspirations don't fuel the actual work and diligence behind doing these things. So a lot of stuff's repetitive. Mm-hmm. Same thing with your day job. If you, if you don't have the tolerance for it, um, you know, it may be a hobby, but not something you want to put a full project into. Um, the only thing I wanted to say about this is um, with the indie game movement over the past few years, we've seen a lot of individuals or oh, very yeah. small teams. And, you know, you see people coming from big studios where they were stuck doing 3D modeling and that was their job and maybe their expertise kind of expanded beyond that and they go off to do their own thing. You know, they've done the day in, Mm -hmm. day out, repetitive stuff and now they're going to challenge themselves and make something else, you know. Um, Axiom Verge, which is coming out for the Switch soon, it's a Metroid game which you still need to play, Sean. I know. Um, One guy. And I'll tell you, when you play this game, you, you, you play the game Step back and realize everything in the game from start to finish was one guy. Right. The mechanics, the art, well, the music. And if you look at Zayboid games or uh, Super Meat Boy. Yeah. Super Meat Boy was two, two guys. guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and Zayboid is two guys. Right. Plus a music guy, but they, they buy the music from him. Right. Um, th- this can be done, right? And you can still tell or, or create a memorable experience. Uh, and, and we, the next step after you've got your concept and you've got your rough game made and you think you want to wow the world is how do you present it to the world and where do you distribute it? And that is an area I'm not prepared to talk about. Right. And the other, the other thing I would say about making something your own and it, even outside of games is, uh, if you have the time, you want to work on it and do it, do it. Don't worry about the response. Like, with the game thing, worry about the response of feedback for it. Right. Not Ultimately, feel comfortable putting something in the world and just, it exists. It's something you did. You have an experience. You will ultimately learn from that. Mm-hmm. It may or may not be your greatest work. You may have a lot of regrets. You know, after you finish something, you then think, okay, I learned from doing it this one time. I'm going to do it again. And I know what I've learned from that experience. Another thing to do, and we did this in college, pick a game you like and deconstruct it. Yeah. And then try and rebuild it in the engine or a different engine and see if you can achieve the same results. Yeah. Um, There are little things you can do like that with very basic games. So I encourage everybody, if you're interested, to do that. It's a good topic, Sean. Good pick. Yeah, a little more cerebral than some of our others, but... So, we've added a new section to the show. New section. And, uh... Yeah, well, 
you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. It's a section that we're calling Fans Giving of the Back Feeds. Um, so I knew that was going to come back and bite me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we've asked you for 20 episodes <laughs> to give us some feedback for the show. We, we got our first letter, co- letter column. We finally got a... So, based on last week, or last episode, episode 19, we got some mm-hmm. feedback. Really? So, Sean, here, here's a couple. So, first, from uh, 420 Lux. I still don't understand that Twitter name. That's listener Kyle. Um, he says at four score seven pongs. I'm offended. Jared said loins, and I would like a refund. I did say loins last week. I'm saying it again. I apologize. Also, we'll be issuing you your refund of zero dollars shortly. So, um, he also said he plays Switch ninety five percent of the time in handheld mode. Okay, and that Sean really shows his age this week. I'm not sure what that means. You're, you're reverting back to old man signs. Well, I've always been old man signs. And always will be. I've been old man signs since I was 12. <laughs> <laughs> and on Facebook, our good friend of the show, Sean Nagel, says, uh, in regards to loot boxes, he says, when it comes to loot boxes, he has no issues as long as they don't give you an in-game advantage. You can choose to buy the boxes that are cosmetic, cosmetic um, new skins, new mounts, like in Heroes of the Storm. It adds to the game when you're pretty much doing the same thing over and over. So if you're really invested in a game, I think it's what he's saying is if you're playing it often. It's a fun it's way a nice to extra. customize the game. Yeah. yeah. So Okay. Thanks of the the giving of the back feeds. We appreciate it. So if you guys uh, have more, feel free to tweet at us, Facebook us, um mail us. We should get a P.O. box. That'd be neat. No. You can get some anthrax. You accused me of being old man signs. uh and lastly we leave this week with this week's one dumb thing sean and this is mine and and i think this is kind of a repeat but we talk about nintendo's dumb stuff all the time so i figure if we repeat this it's not that big a deal um this is actually disney dumb stuff (laughs) which is disney announced this week that they are about to launch a streaming service Another streaming service? Well, I think we actually talked about this in a tangent a few weeks back. But more details have come to light, such as there's a new Star Wars TV show coming, only available on the streaming service. Weren't we the same guys just talking about how we were getting oversaturated with Star Wars? Yeah, okay. But there's also a new Marvel TV series coming. We didn't say we were oversaturated with superheroes, which is odd because there's way too many superhero things right I now. think we're getting oversaturated with that too. So I think it's the Disney effect. Yeah. Maybe that's the dumb thing is the oversaturation of these brands. But what I wanted to talk about is here we are again. Another content creator feels that they can maximize their profits by not using a middleman like Netflix or Amazon or Hulu. So they're launching another streaming service. And I know we specifically talked about this around CBS Mm -hmm. and the new Star Trek show, which has been a big success for them, right? They got tons of people subscribed to the CBS streaming platform just to watch Star Trek. Yep. And Disney's betting, and, and I don't think they need a lot of market research to prove this, people will do exactly the same thing to watch new superhero shows and new Star Wars TV shows. And the back catalog. And the back catalog, right. Yep. Uh, it's like a dumb thing because it's another streaming service, but it's also one 
channel to rule them all. Well, it's not one channel. It's the diversification. It's it's this a la carte nature of the world. It's what we've asked for. We're just not happy. The way well, yeah, it's exactly what cable companies have been saying for years, yeah. which is, okay, we'll give you a la carte and you're going to pay $15 a channel and you're probably going to get some things you don't like and associated with things you do like. And our bundling actually was saving you money, but you know what? You're killing us now. So here you go. Here you go. Enjoy. Yeah. All right. So that's everybody will just steal the content anyways. What? No. That's our one dumb thing this week. Thanks for listening. This has been Jared. And Sean. And there have been some tangents. And we'll see you next week with another episode. Oh, yeah. Before we go, just just an administrative note. We plan to do these uh, episodes in seasons to make it easy for people to consume it on iTunes. But we're going to model it after the modern television season. So there's 22 episodes in a season, which just about perfectly fits with the break that we're likely going to take for the holidays. So we will get to episode 22 and then we will have a short break and come back in the new year. Correct. So just heads up before we get there. We don't want you to go like, Oh my God, I should get episode 23 this week. And we're like, dude, I'm eating Turkey. Or that, ham or whatever. That may not mean the podcast. We may do a live show, which we've been talking about forever. Well, we still streaming. have our, you know, planning to do around our charity event, which everybody's charity events were this weekend and last weekend yeah. for ch- Child's Play. So, yeah, we've got some work to do still. It'll actually give us some more time to focus on those other things. So, Yep. All right. Thanks. Bye.